Welcome to This Week in Astrology. This is episode number 379 for the week of September 1st, 2014. This Week in Astrology is the free podcast that deepens your astrological wisdom. We always start with the coming week's astrological forecast and regularly feature listener emails, recorded listener consultations, and interviews with other astrologers. Make This Week in Astrology a regular part of your astrological education. Thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Benjamin Bernstein, broadcasting from the virtual location of thisweekinastrology.com and the physical location of Asheville, North Carolina. We have a long show for you this week, and we're going to open, as always, with the forecast for the next seven days, a sneak peek ahead to the following week, a few announcements, including two ways you can win a free session with me. Be sure to listen to that. And our live listener consultation is Chris, and he wrote in wanting to know, how do I make sense of this crazy 11th house of mine? It's got the moon and Uranus and Vesta and Saturn and Neptune all crammed up in there. And I do uh, do a thorough interpretation with him of his 11th house. We also see that uh, some of those 11th house members are part of a grand cross that also involves Mercury and Pallas Athena and Jupiter and Chiron. It gets really juicy really fast. So it's a very fun live listener consultation, and I hope you learn a lot of astrology as you listen to it. So that's the table of contents. Let's now dive into the forecast. The male divinities Pluto, Uranus, and Chiron tango intensely with three asteroid goddesses this week. We also have a healing Sun-Chiron opposition, a flowing Venus-Mercury mutual reception, four peaking aspect patterns, and more. In addition, we have a new aspect pattern beginning with uh, the Sun, Vesta, and Uranus forming a Yod. So let's also touch base on what's old this week. We've got a waxing moon. And we have a bunch of old aspect patterns that are among those peaking, so we probably don't have to mention those a lot right now. We'll get to them in the course of the week's forecast. And, of course, we still have those three retrograde planets, Pluto, Neptune, and Chiron. So, with the overview out of the way, let's move on to our individual days of the week. On Monday, September 1st, happy September. We open with a void moon kicking in at 11.40 a.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And the only other event today is that moon coming into the sign of Sagittarius at 1.17 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. A good energy with the moon in Sag of expansion and joyfulness and celebration and perhaps a little more interest in things about religion and philosophy and meaning of life and such wonderful things. On Tuesday, September 2nd, we only have the Mercury entry into Libra to report. It's going to be in Libra through September 27th, smoothing the way for harmonious communication, creative writing, and easier learning. By the way, we have a back-loaded week. We're going to start getting into the more interesting events as we get later in the week. On Wednesday, September 3rd, the Sun trines Pluto. The Sun is at 11 Virgo and Pluto is at 11 Capricorn. The fine points of personal transformation, juiced-up service, and augmented health practices are smoothly empowered with the Virgoan sun, trine Pluto. And then we got some lunar events, another void moon kicking in at 2.07 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time, and that ends as the moon enters Capricorn at 6.15 p.m. 
U.S. Eastern Time. Now the mood is more like uh, get the work done, be practical and productive. And if you feel a little bit moody or depressed, uh, maybe that's just some part of your psyche saying, you know what, slow down and pay some attention to me in here. You need to deal with what I'm wanting to show you, and then I can go away and your spirits can be high again. Of course, I'm speaking about just, you know, light to medium depression, not clinical depression, which is obviously a much more serious matter. But with the moon in Capricorn, at the very least, one can often be very productive. On Thursday, September 4th, we have the Sun Quintile Mars. Sun, 12 Virgo, Mars at 24 Scorpio. An extra measure of energy and creative inspiration is available for your health and service with the Virgo and Sun Quintile Mars. And then we have a Moon-Pluto conjunction here on Thursday. That's happening around 1 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. And great time to dive into psychology or occult practices or anything that goes below the surface, investigation, detective work, uh, in the afternoon or late morning hours of Thursday. On Friday, September 5th, we get into juicier things like Jupiter, Quincunx, Pluto. When two slower planets come together, it's a bigger deal in astrology. Jupiter, 11 Leo, Pluto, 11 Capricorn. Transformative adjustments in your religious practices, philosophy of life, and interactions with foreign cultures are stimulated August 24th through September 17th, with a peak on September 5th. With Leonine Jupiter Quincunx Pluto, you can also make positive changes in how you present yourself as a leader or performer. Also on Friday, we have a lot going on today. We have a void moon kicking in at 11.09 a.m. And then Venus enters Virgo. And this isn't just Venus entering Virgo. This is the beginning of a mutual reception. Here's why. Mercury, as you may recall, entered Libra on Tuesday. And now Venus transits Virgo today through September 29th. So until Mercury exits Libra on September 27, Mercury and Venus will be in mutual reception. This simply means that they're in a sign that the other planet rules. Mercury rules Virgo and Venus rules Libra. You may remember the old TV ad. Hey, you got chocolate on my peanut butter. Oh, you got peanut butter on my chocolate. A mutual reception is kind of like that with the energies of the signs and planets all mixed up together. This means that Tuesday's interpretation for Mercury in Libra, harmonious communication, creative writing, and easier learning, also holds true for Venus in Virgo. But Virgo and Venus more explicitly adds the ideas of adjustments and fine-tuning in relationships and creative expression. Happy tweaking. Next up, the moon enters Aquarius, ending the void moon. And that happens at 7.59 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The moon in Aquarius is a great time to let your freak flag fly, follow your intuitive flashes, and serve the collective good. Then we have two aspect patterns that started last week that are peaking today. First, a cradle aspect pattern that involves the sun, Juno, Ceres, and Pluto offers several intriguing possibilities. This one started on August 28th, peaks today, and ends on September 8th. Are you in a committed relationship where you're playing second fiddle or in which your self-esteem is being diminished? This aspect pattern can support you in adopting an I-get-as-good-as-I-give mindset. The theme of release and return is also at play. Some relationships may take a breather, while connections that have been on hiatus may resume. Of course, that is exactly the same way I interpreted it last week. I make these as good as I can, so they're kind of hard to improve on. Next up, the mystic rectangle. 
that involves the Sun, Juno, Chiron, and Pluto. Started on August 30th, peaks today, ends on September 10th. Healing in your domestic environment and committed relationships can be energized, and mentoring or counseling in these areas is also supported. How about three aspect patterns? We have a new one kicking off today. It's a yod, uh, two quincunxes of 150 degrees, connected by a 60-degree sextile called a finger of God sometimes. It starts today, peaks on September 8th, ends on September 10th. The Virgoan Sun and Scorpionic Vesta suggest transformative, devoted service to a higher cause. The tip of this finger of God, Uranus in Aries, suggests passionate humanitarian service that might even be groundbreaking. What about the weekend? Saturday, September 6th, we open with Chiron trine Vesta. Chiron, 15 Pisces, Vesta, 15 Scorpio. Not only does Scorpionic Vesta appear in yesterday's Yod, but she trines Chiron today. This suggests serving a higher cause in a healing or mentoring capacity and also supports sexual healing. Then we have Mercury, Quincunx, Neptune, Mercury, 6 Libra, Neptune, 6 Pisces. Lack of mental clarity is one possible outcome of this aspect. If so, this is a good chance to rely on your intuitive guidance rather than your rational mind. This connection can also be refocused to support creative writing and all types of creative expression. Mercury isn't just writing or talking. It's, it can be like uh, dance or instrumental music. It can be expression that isn't explicitly verbal. Then Pluto squares Pallas Athena. Pluto, 11 Capricorn, Pallas Athena, 11 Libra. This is one of those examples of the gods and goddesses doing that intense tango I mentioned in the headline. Are you ready to assert your power, ladies? Pluto's square to Libran Pallas Athena has your back. Pallas Athena is the asteroid goddess that can kick butt and take names, and the square from Pluto charges her up with huge power. But Pallas Athena's placement in Libra suggests that subtle and skillful assertiveness might be more effective than old-fashioned brute dominance. Remember, the more you surrender to divine guidance, the more powerful you become. Another pair-off between the gods and goddesses, Uranus, Quincunx, Vesta. Uranus, 16 Aries, Vesta, 16 Scorpio. There may be an intuitive flash waiting to show you how to take your higher service to the next level. This Eureka moment can come courtesy of Uranus, Quincunx, Vesta, as long as you quiet your mind enough to receive it. Then yet another god-goddess combo, Chiron, Trine, Juno. Chiron, 15 Pisces, Juno, 15 Cancer. Healing and mentoring in committed partnerships, especially domestic ones, is smoothly supported with Cancerian Juno, Trine Chiron. And then an aspect pattern that started last week on August 30th. It's a cradle involving the Sun, Juno, Vesta, and Pluto peaks today and wraps up on September 9th. By the way, if you would like to see all these things I'm talking about, you can always go to This Week in Astrology. Uh, well, actually, let me correct that. Uh, the actual best place to go for the graphics is my main website, astroshaman.com. Go to the forecast for this week, and I actually post graphics of all of the aspect patterns uh, that I talk about. At the very least, I put the new ones up this week. I think I just put the one new one up. But you can also click the links I put in there to view the graphics for the prior aspect patterns. So in one way or another, you can see everything I'm talking about if you uh, go along with my blog as you hear me talk about all this stuff.
On Sunday, September 7th, we have Uranus square Juno. Uranus, 16 Aries. Juno, 16 Cancer. Juno is seriously energized right now. She received a trine from Chiron yesterday and gets a square from Uranus today. This aspect can pump high voltage into committed partnerships. Can you use it to fuel a quantum leap in how you relate? Then a void moon begins here on Sunday at 1.19 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time, which ends when the moon enters Pisces at 7.47 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The moon in Pisces is a lovely time to do meditation practice or exercise your divinely inspired creativity or maybe enjoy the creative inspirations that others have put out there for your enjoyment. Um, Those are all great ways to use that. Then we have a Sun-Chiron opposition. The Sun, 15 Virgo, Chiron, 15 Pisces. At the end of such an intense week, it's nice to have the healing opportunity presented by the Virgoan Sun opposing Chiron. Both Virgo and Chiron have healing meaning. Use this consciously to bring healing and mentoring wherever it's needed. And finally, balancing the receptive and assertive aspects of your feminine nature is a major message of the Grand Cross involving Juno, Pallas, Athena, Uranus, and Pluto. It started on August 29th, peaks today, and ends on September 9th. And that's all the forecast for this week. Some of what I'll be talking about on next week's show for the week of September 8th are a full moon in Pisces, a challenging Sun-Uranus quincunx, a potentially very spiritual and creative Venus-Neptune opposition. Mars is going to enter Sagittarius and make a minor heart aspect to Uranus. Mercury will aspect four slower planets, really jazzing up the communication vibe. Saturn does a triple. Pluto does a double. Uh, Forgive me, Ceres does a double, not Pluto. And then we have four peaking aspect patterns and three new ones. So another busy week. So I encourage you to join me once again next week so I can share with you what I perceive to be the best uses of these astrological forces. I look forward to sharing that with you next week. You can hear my weekly forecast every week on This Week in Astrology. But would you also like to get a free, concise version in writing? How about having it pop into your inbox every week? How about occasional bonus articles on astrology, healing, spiritual awakening, and more? That's what you'll get with AstroShaman's free weekly email newsletter. To subscribe, go to astroshaman.com. You'll see the newsletter sign-up form near the top of the sidebar. And if you like to calculate your own astrology charts, why not use the world's leading Windows astrology software and get it for the lowest price available? AstroShaman is an authorized dealer for SolarFire Gold, which can also run on your Mac. To learn more or place your order, visit astroshaman.com. From there, click on Products in the menu bar and choose SolarFire Software from the drop-down menu. A free weekly forecast newsletter and the best available price on SolarFire Gold. Two great reasons to visit astroshaman.com right now. I have a few announcements, including two opportunities to win a free session, so you might want to listen up. Information on everything that follows is in the What's New section of the homepage of astroshaman.com. With the sun in Virgo, it's the perfect time to analyze, critique, and improve. So I'm awarding a free two-hour session, winner's choice of astrology, shamanic healing, and or awakening activation to someone who helps me take what I do to the next level. The entry deadline is Monday, September 8th at 11.59 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. To be entered into the drawing for a free two-hour session with me, worth up to $360, just email me at least one specific suggestion for improvement. 
Each piece of helpful constructive criticism earns you an entry credit. The more helpful suggestions you offer, the better your chances of winning. Your suggestions could relate to my services, website, newsletter, podcast, videos, or anything else you think I could improve. The winner will be randomly selected from all eligible entry credits. You can also tell me what I'm doing well if you wish, but it won't earn you any entry credits. Right now, I'm more interested in finding out what I can do better. Again, the entry deadline is Monday, September 8th at 11.59 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. Email me your suggestions now at info at astroshaman.com. Was it my most enthusiastic radio appearance ever? Decide for yourself as you listen to the free archive recording of my effervescent one-hour guest spot on the Consider This Web Radio Show. I was the sole guest of the Reverend Doctors Linda Marie Nelson and Nancy Ash. Our lively, free-willing discussion included astrology and shamanism with a special focus on my Heal and Awaken invocations. And because that August 25th appearance went so well, I will once again be featured on the Consider This Web Radio Show Monday, October 6th. Uh, 6 to 7 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. The focus this time will be on ayahuasca, plant spirit medicine, and shamanism. I mentioned there were two ways to win a free session. I've already talked about the uh, give me a criticism and I'll give you a reward idea. But uh, we are once again drawing a free winner as we do every quarter on the September 22nd show. It's not that far away. So if you have not yet already sent me your name as well as your date, time, and city of birth, Email that also to info at astroshaman.com. If you have already sent it in, please don't do it again. I never throw them away. So, uh, again, each time the seasons change, I draw a winner. So uh, that sending in also puts you in contention to have your chart featured in part one of the show when I do the part one listener charts. I will be doing reduced rate astrology, shamanic healing, and awakening activation by appointment at the Asheville Coptic Conference, October 3rd and 4th here in the Asheville area. So check that out as well. As always, I'm doing weekly YouTube video forecasts with chart graphics. My shamanic awakening meetup is every Tuesday from 7.15 to 9 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time. Join us by phone if you can't make it in person. And that's all the announcements. Welcome to our live listener consultation. This week, I'm happy to welcome to the show, Chris. Chris, welcome to This Week in Astrology. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, my great pleasure. Um, So let me start by confirming that I have your correct natal data. I show you're born September 8, 1989, 5.30 p.m., Bronx, New York. Is that correct? Yes, sir. And that should give me a chart with uh, Aquarius rising at 7 degrees, 21 minutes, and the moon in Sagittarius at 21 degrees, 45 minutes. Does that match how you expect your chart to be? Correct. Awesome. Okay. And for those who are listening, I always, uh, when I do, when I reference a chart on the show like this, it is uh, visual on the blog. So if you go to thisweekinastrology.blogspot.com for this show, you will see uh, then you know Chris's name will be listed in the, uh, the the sequence of the show near the middle of the uh, blog, and his name will be underlined. And if you click his name, then it will bring up a uh, graphic of his chart and all the graphics we're looking at today. Or you can run your own chart because you got the natal data. <laughs> all right, cool. So Chris, what would you like to speak about today? So what I saw my information in on a whim. Um, I was. Just mainly interested because I've been looking at my own chart, you know, and trying to learn my way through it and dissect it. And the one part of it that's always been interesting to me was my 111th house. Uh-huh. It's 
jam-packed. It has uh, three of my four outer planets in there. It's just a lot concentrated in a tiny little space, though. That's the one that's always been extra tricky in interpreting. So I would just want an extra, you know, kind of perspective or different way of approaching it. Okay, excellent. Well, we'll dive into that puppy then. Um, so just so the listener has a sense of your chart overview, um, the primal triad is the sun in Virgo, the moon in Sagittarius and Aquarius rising. And the and by the way, the house system I'm using is Porphyry. So if you use a different house system, you may see planets in different houses, but there's about 30 ways to divide up the chart and you got to pick one. So <laughs> so I show, uh, I also use the asteroid goddesses. So Chris, for you, I actually show five objects in your 11th house. I've okay. got um, the house begins at 21 degrees, 37 moon, minutes. The moon barely makes it in at 21 degrees, 35 minutes, Sagittarius. And then everything else is in Capricorn. Uh, I'm going to round to the yeah. nearest degree just to keep it simple. I've got right. Uranus at one degree, Vesta at two degrees, Saturn at seven degrees, and Neptune at 10 degrees. Does that match your, uh, your chart as well, Chris? Yes. Okay. And that's a lot, but actually it's not your most energetically loaded house. Your most energetically loaded house is the eighth house because it contains the Sun, Mars, Mercury, and Juno. And in terms of ranking energies, uh, personal planets count for more than outer planets. So the fact that your eighth has this... Now, the, the Sun and Moon kind of balance each other. They each get three points in my ranking. But you've got Mars and Mercury in the eighth and no personal planets in the eleventh. So your eighth house actually is more, I would say, overall is a more important house than the eleventh. But that that wasn't your question. You didn't ask. Tell me about my most important house. You said, "Tell me about my eleventh yeah. house." I don't understand it. Yeah, but I and wanted. I, guess I just didn't really understand it. Like all everything was going on. You see, just another thing I picked up along the way. Yeah. So this is this illustrates an important principle, which is when you're interpreting a natal chart, you give the most weight to the personals. Next in rank are the socials, Jupiter and Saturn, and least important usually are the outers. You know, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto. Now, there are some exceptions to that, which I'll get into if it feels important. Um, but that's the general priority. And in case someone doesn't know, the personal planets are Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, and Mars. And the luminaries, the ones that are really big in the sky, the Sun and Moon, get like triple value, three points each, whereas the rest of the personals get one point in, uh, in the solar fire system that I use for ranking those. Um, so that's just a little overview. So now let's let's get into the actual 11th house and see what it has to tell us. Um, um, now, what you have here is uh, a couple of clusters and a, and a standalone. The moon is basically at 22 Sagittarius. Then the next thing in there is, is Uranus at 1 degree, 20 minutes Capricorn. And if you use a 10 degree orb for luminaries, which I do, that means close enough, the moon and Uranus are barely, barely conjunct. I mean, if, if right. it was uh, half a degree further away, they wouldn't even be considered conjunct with each other. The fact that they're in different signs also loosens the energy of that conjunction a little bit. The moon is Sag, Uranus is Capricorn. And uh, if y'all are hearing a yowl, that is my cat yowling at me <laughs> for unknown reasons. So, so I guess she wants to be part of the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we'll leave her in. What the heck? <laughs> All right, so, um, but what we have super tight is Uranus and Vesta are super close together. Uh, they are, you know, less than one degree apart. So that's a tight dyad. That word is D-Y-A-D, in case anyone doesn't know that. It means just a pairing. 
And then Saturn and Neptune are also pretty tight. They are only about two and a half degrees apart. And of all the combinations in your 11th house, I would say Saturn-Neptune is the most important. And there are, are several reasons for that. Um, uh, anyone who's listened to the show for a long time is familiar with my theory of Saturn and Neptune being law of attraction planets. Are, have you heard me talk about that in the past, Chris? Uh, maybe briefly, but not too much into it. Okay. Well, let me explain. I've been watching this signature for years. And before I get into right. it, uh, again, Chris and I have not talked about anything before this, you know, so this is all fresh. Let me ask you the question the way I would ask it to a client who had no clue what the law of attraction was, okay? Okay. So here's, here's my question to you. If you, in your life, have passionately desired something, you really, really wanted to see it manifest in your life, um, and you fantasized about it, you imagined it as if it was happening, and your imagining was charged up with emotional energy, like you know you got excited thinking about it. Yeah, First off, I mean, have you ever done that? Has that ever yes. been? Okay. And when you did that with consistency, did that thing usually show up in your life? Yeah, it, in one way or another, yeah. I think I would just put a lot of emphasis into it. So I think it was part it happening apart me just, I don't know, looking for it that would kind of make it happen. Okay. appear, whatever we would want to call it. Okay. So, so, but the fact is, when you started putting a lot of mental energy into something and visualizing it in your mind with, with strong emotion, that thing showed up more often than not, did it not? Yeah. Okay. And sometimes in mysterious and surprising ways, perhaps? Hmm. Yeah. If I just dwell on things, somewhere or another, they end up just making around or just kind of wiggling their way into the, the forefront of things. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, so that is the law of attraction. Huh. Okay. Um, I have an article on my website. If There's actually two of them, and depending on how technical a listener wants to get, they can try the one. I, rec I recommend these for you, Chris. If anyone goes to my site, astroshaman.com, and in the search box in the upper right, if they type the words Law of Attraction Made Simple, they'll get my super simple article just how to do it. But listeners to this show will probably want to type in an, an astrological signature for the Law of Attraction, and that's where I get into Saturn and Neptune. Okay, so here's what I've observed now for several years of client work. Um, in this context, when Neptune and Saturn are strongly connecting to each other, Neptune represents visualization and imagination, and Saturn represents crystallization and making it real in the three-dimensional world. And you've got them really tight together. Um, what helps make it even stronger, in your case, Chris, is Saturn is in Capricorn, the sign that it rules. You have a dignified Saturn. It's very strong. Not, it doesn't matter that Saturn and Neptune are both retrograde. They are strong in this chart. Okay, So that's a strong signature. The conjunction, of course, is the most powerful connection of all. And you've got the conjunction. Now, it also helps if one of those planets rules an angle. Okay, And if one uses ancient rulers like I do, I also use modern rulers, by the way, you have Saturn as one of your chart rulers. You have Aquarius rising. Saturn is the ancient ruler yeah. of Aquarius, right? So the chart ruler, or one of them, is conjunct Neptune. And, and, that, and it so happens, I mentioned Uranus is part of this cluster of planets too, isn't it? Okay? So Uranus is conjunct Saturn by about six degrees, and Uranus is, let's see, eight degrees and change away from Neptune. And that's, you know, 
that's uh, on the edge of orb I would normally use for planets like that. But, you know, I think what we're seeing here also is a daisy chain effect, which means that even if the orb is a little bit large, if there's planets in between, it's like the energy hopscotches from one to the next and kind of joins them together like a chain link. Okay. Okay. So I would say Uranus, uh, I would make a case Uranus is conjunct Neptune as well, which means Neptune is conjoining both chart rulers. Uranus, the modern ruler of Aquarius, and Saturn, the ancient ruler of Aquarius. Now, Uranus doesn't really factor into the law of attraction signature, but I just wanted to point out that the chart ruler, the other chart ruler, is conjunct the law of attraction signature, thus rendering it even more powerful. Does that make sense to you, Chris? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I, hope I, I hope I haven't gotten too technical too fast here. <laughs> okay, so... So now, so you have one of the law of attraction planets, Saturn, the ancient ruler of your ascendant, you know, involved in Saturn-Neptune, which, which makes it angularly connected or connected to an angle energetically and makes it more powerful. Um, uh, just for note, Saturn and Neptune are also both um, semi-sextile, the ascendant. They're like just about 30 degrees away. So there is actually an aspect. So that uses it up a little bit, but also it helps to have a personal planet in the mix somewhere. And I don't know if you're aware of it, uh, but you actually have this uh, 11th house stellium as part of a grand cross. Were you, were you aware of that, Chris? I was not. Yeah. If you use the asteroid goddesses, you have a grand cross. <laughs> otherwise, you uh, just, okay. otherwise, you just get a T-square. But... Um, the I don't want to bring all the planets of that in just yet, but I want to point out that part of that Grand Cross is Mercury. Mercury is at 10 Libra, um, strongly squaring both Saturn and Neptune. Okay? Right. And part of what makes Law of Attraction work is your mind and where you focus and concentrate it. So um, to have a planet that is an integral piece of Law of Attraction, the mental part, uh, squaring Saturn and Neptune juices it up even further. Okay? And okay. and to bring in one more corner, um, which is Jupiter and Cancer in your natal chart, Jupiter yeah. opposes Saturn and Neptune, and with Mercury, those guys so far create a T-square. You know, Saturn and Neptune opposing Jupiter, and everybody squares Mercury. Okay? Right. Now, Jupiter in the mix uh, has an amplifying effect. Anytime Jupiter gets involved, especially by hard aspect, it strongly amplifies the effect of whatever's going on. Okay, And you need emotions to make law of attraction work. And there's no sign more associated with emotion than cancer, is there? Okay, So here's Jupiter in cancer, the sign that's most associated with emotion, opposing the Saturn-Neptune setup in Capricorn to help it manifest more easily. And there's Mercury over in Libra saying, okay, I can bring the mental focus, I got the emotions with Jupiter in cancer, and that's all going over to Saturn-Neptune and giving me law of attraction juju. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, for sure. So it's a really sweet setup. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah, it's interesting how it breaks down to the all interactive too. Because I was a little interested by that opposition too. So, but when you see it play out, you know, in totality, it does make for a little interesting picture. <laughs> it does. Now, this is by no means the only way that this T square can be interpreted. There is always right. multiple interpretations for anything in astrology. But yeah. uh, in terms of law of attraction, that's how I see it playing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what I would advise you is to um, consciously make use of this. Um, either of the articles on my site about Law of Attraction give the four-step formula to be super quick to uh, summarize that. 
Step one, write it down in great detail. The, better, the more detail, the better. It forces you to think through it carefully. And, and then print it out if you did it on the computer because you want ink on paper in the physical world. That's the first right. level of manifesting. Step two, see it as a movie in your mind, all senses engaged. Uh, don't worry about how it happened. Just see the wish already fulfilled. Cut to the end. And as you're holding this perfect vision of exactly how you want it to be, then you have powerful positive emotions and you celebrate in your vision. You are so happy it's turned out just like you wanted it. And you can even be jumping up and down for joy in there, you know. Um, and, and that's the piece that really lets the universe know what you want. It, it's, it's, in my belief, it's, you've got to have the specificity of vision combined with the power of emotion to get the quickest, most effective result. Yeah, and I guess that's always a little piece of it that I always struggle too. That emotional part of it too, because I do have you know struggle cope every now and then. So I think that's always the one piece that's always kind of just like you know trying to get the hang of things. So it puts things in perspective. Okay, good. Well, you've got a moon in Sagittarius. You have no shortage of emotional juice there. So yeah, it's just like all that energy and where it's directed and how it's being channeled and right, that right sort of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, uh, just on a side note, you have Jupiter and the Moon in mutual reception. The Moon's in Sag, Jupiter's in Cancer, they're in each other's signs. And that makes them uh, very strongly connected energetically. Huh. So uh, you have a lot of emotional power available to you if you want to make use of it. Huh. Okay. All right, so I've given you first three steps of Law of Attraction. Let's, let's wrap it up with the final step that I recommend, which is um, the Karma-Free Safety Clause. <laughs> and that's uh, the shortcut version is simply this or something better which is shorthand right. for this or something better now manifests for the highest good of all concerned and uh, saying that gives the universe your higher self permission to improve on it uh, and it also alleviates any worries on your part oh I'm, I'm scared this might manifest in a way that might harm someone or not be perfect so let me let me not you know, see it so clearly or, or juice it up so much. This way you can keep going at 100% visualizing power and strong emotions and know that if there is any flaw in your design, then you're giving your higher self permission to fix that flaw and improve the whole outcome when it pops in. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I can put that, yeah, absolutely. Mantra of sorts. <laughs> okay, good. So, so that is, you know, my favorite way to use a Saturn-Neptune combo like you have in your 11th house. So I, I do recommend that for you. Um, and if you want to play in the retrograde parts, um, you were born in 89, 09, so you're what, 20, 24 years old right now? 24, yeah, turning 25 in a couple weeks. Okay, good. So, um, well, maybe my thing doesn't play. The, the retrograde planet often is a late bloomer or more internalized. So um, mm -hmm. if we're going to call 25 late, then we'll say, oh, it took him that long to get that Saturn-Neptune rolling in that way. <laughs> but they're, they're active now. Huh. So you could, you could think of it like that. I guess they, they recently got activated by a Pluto conjunction, so we could say that was enough to turn them on, right? Right. Because transit Pluto has recently been on top of both those guys. So that would be enough to activate them out of their retrograde status, so to speak. <laughs> Very interesting. Okay. Those retrogrades threw me off too. So, but that's yeah. And let me just let me give you a pers my own perspective on this. The outer planets, uh, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, are retrograde five months out of the year. You know, so okay. they're retrograde almost as much as they're direct. And I've never really observed a significant change in their functioning, whether they're direct or retrograde. So, so in outer planets, especially, I'm not sure it makes such a big difference. 
Um, now, Saturn, we could make a little more of a case. He's retrograde, you know, I think he's retrograde three or four months out of the year. So a little more, a little less for him. But I've still, right. I, I see retrogrades a little more impactful on personal planets than gotcha. on the on the ones further out personally. Okay, so what else can you do with Neptune-Saturn? Well, Neptune is dissolution and Saturn is structure. Okay, so this can be such a helpful setup for you because Neptune, being so close to Saturn, can say, okay, as soon as a structure has outworn its usefulness in your life, we can dissolve it away. So this would call upon you to be really flexible and to your best bet is to consciously allow whatever in your life is no longer serving you to just slip out, slip away, as opposed to clinging to it once it's reached past its point of usefulness. Does that make sense? Absolutely, and it's definitely something that I've been experiencing more lately than not in my life, too. So that just kind of like is another dimension to it. Okay, good. Um, so I would recommend uh, proactively releasing. Otherwise, the universe will be forced to uh, use less gentle means to get it out of your life, and, and you may suffer a bit because of that. So uh, be proactive. Um, yeah. let, me, let me bring in another factor that is so perfect for Saturn and Neptune being in your 11th house. I haven't even given the meanings of the 11th house yet, so I should definitely fill that in. Um, the 11th house has a couple of basic meanings. It's groups of people. By that, I would say three or more, although it could be huge, vast crowds. It could be just a small gathering, just three or more folks. Um, but the 11th house in classical astrology is also known as the house of dreams and wishes. Um, but uh, I would say it's the law of attraction house. So you have the law of attraction signature, Saturn and Neptune, in the law of attraction house. And that is pretty juicy. Uh, to have a Sag moon in there in the 11th house as well, even though it's not conjunct Saturn-Neptune, adds to the emotional power of your, you know, wishes getting to be real. Sure. So uh, I think that's a really cool setup, actually. Sure. Um, Let's hope it plays out well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's another way the 11th house works, too. Um, if you think in terms of derived houses, let me, let me explain what I'm getting into here a little bit. Um, if you... If you think of the 10th house as the first house, and then you look at your chart not as Chris's individual chart, but the, but the chart of Chris's business prospects, okay? Then uh, this is called turning the wheel, although that's, uh, you know, we don't always literally turn it, but then whatever relationship they have to the 10th house is what they are. So the 11th house becomes the second house of the business chart. Does that make sense? Okay. So one of the more common meanings of the 11th house, in addition to what I said, is the house of income from career. Huh. So it is, it is directly related to, to money. All right. So okay. there you've got your law of attraction signature. And, and I'll tell you what amazes me when I, when I get into discussions with clients who are, in the, you know, I'm suggesting law of attraction for monetary things, and they say they've been doing that, and, and I ask them, well, you, you may be saying, I want to be wealthy or I want to be well-off. Have you actually given the universe a concrete figure, a net figure of what you actually want? And very few of them have actually done that. They have a vague idea that they want a lot of money or they want to be comfortable, but they haven't actually you know, named a number. Um, and I liken it to uh, sitting in a restaurant and the waiter comes up to the table and says, what would you like? And... Their response is the equivalent of, oh, I don't know, bring me some kind of food, please. Just give me a fair amount of it. Huh. That waiter has no idea what to bring them, you know? 
So, you know, specificity is good. The law of attraction, the more specific, the better. You know, the highest number you can name and believe that it's possible. Yeah, you know, I guess is part a good of the number. magic of it is being able to communicate exactly what it is to that little degree to make it that much more concrete. Yeah. So, you know, someone who's not earning a lot of money, for them to say, hey, I want, I want a $50,000 net income this year, that might be a little stretch for them, but they, they can certainly see it as possible. Other people... Whereas if you come out and say, all right, I want $10 million in the next week, you know, uh, a big part of their psyche might have trouble believing that's actually possible. And right. if, if a part of you is doubting the possibility of what you just set up for law of attraction, that's going to sabotage it from within. So, right. so you need to make it believable for yourself. Okay. But, you know, stretch, you know, don't stretch a little bit. Don't just stay in the total comfort zone. Get to the outer edge of the comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, make it rational enough so that my other, you know, unconscious part of it isn't like this is never going to happen either. Yeah, because, and, you know, it, it's it's good if you're just a newbie with this to start with relatively modest things, things that are not that far out of the realm of normality and see, wow, that happened. And, and well, this little yeah. thing happened too. And um, let me, uh, now I'm starting to get some confidence this thing actually works. Let me try for something a little more ambitious and just kind of build it up layer by layer as you get more bold and confident that it works. Right. So that can be helpful too. All right. So I don't want to spend the whole, you know, interview talking law of attraction, but I wanted to fill in those pieces because I thought they might be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like it definitely, you know, I can totally see how that, you know, interaction plays out and I definitely experienced some of that. So no, this, it's definitely there. Okay, good. All right, so I encourage you uh, to uh, to get busy with that. That should make for some awesome stuff manifesting. Yeah, um, use what you got to get what you want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, now, uh, you, your Titus conjunction in your 11th house is Uranus and Vesta, the asteroid goddess. Again, they are, they are 38 minutes apart, which is just barely more than half a degree. So let's think how we these guys can be combined. Uh, Vesta, the broadest sense of this asteroid goddess, who who is named after the Roman goddess Vesta, the Vestal Virgins of Rome, were those who tended the sacred flame in that temple. Um, the, the most broad sense is just devotion to some cause greater than yourself. Anything yeah. at all. Okay? As long as it's not explicitly you know, remunerating Chris, but is just done for the higher good, then that can be a Vesta signature. Um, so you've got Uranus conjunct Vesta, and uh, Uranus actually has a similar meaning. Um, they, I, I like to say there's three high side ways to use Uranus. One is to be your unique original self as a human ego. The other, the second is to follow your intuitive flashes. But the third is to do humanitarian work, to take right. your special gifts and serve the greater good with them. Okay. And Vesta is all about serving the greater good. So. Um, that might be an interesting way to think about Uranus and Vesta together is to, is to you know, develop your unique talents. Now, you may have been doing that already, but continue doing that. You, you can never get too old to develop what's cool and special about you. And then the, the more expert you become at the things you, you love to do most, the easier it's going to be for you to turn around and help people with those specific skills. Does that make sense? Yeah, and ideally, when you serve, you want to serve in a way that is the most joyful for you. And and I believe we, we humans are wired to get the greatest service joy out of the things we're best at. Doesn't that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I always have that extra little service aspect, me being a Virgo, too. So that just kind of uh -huh. brings that, you know, full circle. Exactly. 
So that that's a, a that's the most basic way I can think of to to put Uranus and Vesta together. Okay. Uh, now they are in Capricorn, which means uh, you'll probably want to do service in a very concrete way where you can see the results, you know, tangibly right. in the in the physical world. So Capricorn likes to to have results it can perceive with its five senses. So that's a nice way to play that too. Um, now Vesta has other meanings, but in this context, I'm thinking that's probably the the main way that would want to play out in your chart. Okay, and then the moon is left. That's the other eleventh house planet, and it's it's kind of hanging out by itself over in Sagittarius. Yeah. Again, very loosely conjunct Uranus, um, and I'm not sure how strongly they're connecting. So I'm going to do what I would do in a client session and ask you if a certain thing is true or not, and see how it's behaving. Um, if Moon and Uranus are connecting energetically in your chart, uh, the low side expressions of that would be um, a sense of emotional anxiety or nervous emotional energy a lot, if it's more challenging. If they're connecting more on the high side, there would be a sense of getting intuitive flashes and having strong, positive emotional responses to them. Yeah, definitely more on the low side, unfortunately. It's definitely more along the lines of being able to cope with all that energy. I think, um, yeah, I think I touched on it a little earlier, you know, being able to deal with, you know, where to channel all that stuff. So I think maybe Uranus is taking the more, you know, kind of, I guess, fuzzing up that energy or the reception of it and, you know, how to be able to process it. Okay, so you're you're feeling a lot of Uranus energy then? Yes. Okay. All right, now, just to be you know, cover our bases, that may not be the only reason you're feeling that experience. We have to remember you also have Aquarius rising. Okay? Right. And in, in the astrology alphabet concept, where there's a planet assigned in house that all mean the same thing, Uranus and Aquarius are synonyms. They mean exactly the same thing. Um, so you've got another thing going on, an angle that is also with that, uh, you know, same energy, just to, right. just to point that out. Um, so, but where it's coming from almost is an academic point. The point is, how do we work with it? We'll be right back with the rest of our live listener consultation. How much valuable astrological information can you get for just $15? Far more than you might expect, thanks to the Time Passages Natal Report. This is by far the best natal computer report I've ever seen. It provides an extraordinary depth of interpretation with a consistently positive tone. A computer report can never replace a human astrologer, but the Time Passages Natal Report will provide you with a wealth of insights into your natal chart. It can also serve as a great introduction to astrology or help anyone understand themselves better. I was amazed at how much I learned about myself from its insightful interpretations. The Time Passages Natal Report also makes a unique and affordable gift for all occasions. To learn more or place your order, visit astroshaman.com. From there, click on Products in the menu bar and choose Computer Reports from the drop-down menu. Satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. How much valuable astrological information can you get for just $15? Order your risk-free Time Passages Natal Report and find out. So um, I've told you my three high-side ways of using Uranus, and my clients tell me that when they engage it on the high-side, the nervousness and you know emotional um, instability perhaps they were feeling tends to lessen or 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 disappear. Have there been times in your life when you were 
very consciously on track with being your authentic self and following your intuitive flashes and perhaps even serving others? And for first, have there been periods in your life like that? Yes, they're more like little spurts of just like, you know, being able to keep that momentum going and making things happen and then something will happen so it just comes to a brief stop. It's very off and on. So Okay. All right. Well, during those, when the when that has been the case and that was happening, was there any change in your level of emotional instability or irritability? Did it get yes, any? definitely. There's always that sense of like maybe your own kind of levels of, I guess, your own security, I guess. So the more secure you are, you know, the less likely you are to be able to, you know, be anxious and you know, stand on the negative side of things. So yeah, definitely. You know, your own kind of idea of yourself has to be on the upswing too. So there's definitely that element to it. Okay. So, so just to be clear, um, did you just say that when you do the high side Uranus activities, being your unique self, following your intuitive flashes, serving, that the emotional um, anxiety and such was diminished during those periods? Okay, good. All right, so that would seem to uh, support my idea that a planet consciously taken to the high side has less energy left over to bother you on the low side. Right, yeah. Okay. It would, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Okay, now I, I have to point out as well that Uranus isn't just loosely conjunct the moon, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely conjunct Saturn as well, which again, as I said, right. is the ancient ruler of your chart. And right. the ascendant, which is what you know Saturn rules there, is the mask or persona you show the world. So um, uh, the there's two ways, technically speaking, that this Uranian energy can easily express itself into the world. One is through your emotions, but even more visibly through your ascendant. So the state of Uranus will be often immediately apparent to even someone who's just met you. Okay. Whether they feel that sense of nervousness or jangly energy, or whether they sense someone who's confidently standing in his own uniqueness. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. Okay. All right, so yeah, managing Uranus is, is important in your chart. So um, so I would just, you know, I've given you the recipe, and if you see right. the, the symptoms of it, uh, the, the, the challenge keywords for Aquarius and Uranus, again, are irritability, Anxiety, nervousness, um, extreme negative symptoms are insanity, chaos, craziness, you know, just everything just, you know, coming apart all over the place around you. That's a clear sign that you need to get your Uranus Aquarian energy back in line with the three high side activities if you can. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, kind of turn yourself to like, you know, be on the upswing of things. I'm sorry, I, I couldn't quite understand that. Yeah, no, to, to train yourself to be more in the upswing of things. Right, excellent. Okay, Chris, so we've uh, we've done some interpretive work on the five planets in your 11th house, which was your question. Do you have any any questions or comments about the ground we've covered so far? Um, no, not really. I think we've pretty much covered what spoke out to me, so I think we're good. Okay. All right, what I want to do now is expand beyond the 12th house and into the T-square and Grand Cross I was mentioning. Uh, because I want to add just a couple of grace notes to this to uh, to flesh out that picture. Um, and again, just to give a, a picture here to those who are listening and not already looking at the graphic. Uh, again, the the T-square or the Grand Cross does not involve all of the planets in the 11th. It really just has Saturn and Neptune in it. So I have Saturn and Neptune in Capricorn in the 11th house. 
squaring down to Pallas Athena in Aries in the second house. She squares uh, two planets. There's actually two planets on this next corner. I have Jupiter in Cancer um, in the fifth, and I have Chiron in Cancer in the sixth. And they both square up to Mercury in Libra in the eighth. So uh, short form, the planets involved are Saturn, Neptune, uh, Pallas, Athena, Jupiter and Chiron, and Mercury. So um, I'm going to go to Mercury first because it's the only personal planet in the bunch. Um, right. And what I'm feeling here, the, the most of all the connections being made here, to me the most powerful is Neptune square Mercury. Uh, not only is the orb tied, it's only about half a degree orb of that 90 degree square, but Neptune square Mercury is a real powerful signature. Um, when managed well, this can lead to a consistent flow of, of knowledge and energy into your mind where you're just like in the flow state a lot and you just know what to do. Um, have you had periods of time, Chris, where you were in that magical place where you didn't have to factor things out or do pros and cons, you just knew at any given moment what the right action was? Yeah, definitely. There were just kind of like rushes of momentum that I was talking about before where you, you seem to get the role of the hang of things. Right. Now, is that your normal state or is that something that just happens once in a while? It's, it happens once in a while. Like, you know, I, kind of, I catch myself in those moments and when I have taken advantage of them, you definitely see, you know, the changes and the, well, not maybe the changes, just the shift of perspective you want to call it, but then once you fall off of it, you know, it can get tricky trying to get back to that state. Right, unless you know how. Right. <laughs> and I, I will tell you how in just a moment, but let me let me just finish up the astrology first. Um, right. So, so Neptune square Mercury on the high side is an urgent flow of divine information into Mercury, your mind, um, and it's and the square in this case operating positively just keeps the energy coming. Squares are very insistent. That's like turning a corner. They, they never shut down. They're, they're always engaged. Okay? Now, the low side of a Neptune square Mercury would be mental confusion, where you're fuzzy, you can't get clear, and no matter how hard you try, the answer just eludes you. And there's almost, there can be even a sense of aimlessness and driftiness. Have you encountered that state as well? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's kind of like the opposite side of that coin. Uh, right. Catching the flow versus being bogged down. Right. And, and Neptune's functionality in astrology has everything to do with your state of consciousness. Um, if you are not really strong in a divine state yet where you have access to the absolute peace within yourself, uh, then Neptune tends to be a little more problematical. It tends to be more on the side of its, well, let me just give you the classic Neptune downsides, okay? They are um, substance abuse like alcohol or drugs escapist behavior where you're spending a lot of time losing yourself in things like um, games, sex, food, internet, uh, anything that's just recreational and not related to your actual responsibilities in your life and, right. and going into those to excess. Okay. Um, two other challenges of Neptune are playing the martyr in a relationship, sacrificing yourself supposedly for someone else's sake. And the final one is that drifty aimless vibe I talked about. Okay. So Neptune's more likely to operate in that way the less conscious you are of your own divinity, okay? Now, when you start to wake up and realize that, you know, you are not the ego, you are not the body, you are pure awareness, 
And the body and ego is this little tool you're using in the 3D world, like the car you're driving around. When you actually start having that experience, then Neptune's functionality can shift dramatically. And now Neptune is helping you stay in that divine union state. And it's increasingly giving you all sorts of creative inspiration as well. Also, another meaning of it, giving you greater ease to be in a state of unconditional love and compassion more often. Okay? So so that's the low and high of Neptune. Does that make sense? Definitely. Okay. So with Neptune squaring a personal planet, you know, you'll discover that, you know, your thinking will become more of that easy flow state, uh, just knowing the answers to things out of the blue, because Neptune square Mercury actually gives you access to all the information in the universe, potentially. And what you need to know can literally just pop in as needed. It's like you're accessing the, the cosmic Internet, and it's always there for you, you know? So right. I'm, not, I'm not saying you're going to just turn on and have access to all of it all the time, but, you know, that increasingly will be your reality more and more. Right, it's like a monthly train almost. Yeah, and, and it's not, most people don't get downloaded with random information like an encyclopedia, you know. Yeah. The information tends to arrive on a need-to-know basis, you know. So, so that's more how it works in actuality. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Okay. Yes. So that I wanted to share that with you. Um, now you said you don't always are, are in that flow state very often, but I'd like to give you and anyone else who's interested a simple way to get there. Um, and those who've listened to me any amount of time already know what I'm going to do. I'm going to say I've got an invocation for that. <laughs> so you just ask for it. You can, I mean, just phrase it in whatever way makes sense to you. You say, spirit that I am, please connect my human mind with the flow of divine information to the greatest extent that serves highest good. You know, from now on. And then you could then rest passively in breath. The thing you do after you, inv oh, wow, I'm feeling, I'm actually feeling it happening in my brain now just because I said it. And I was just giving an example. Okay, the universe takes me seriously when I say stuff, Okay. So you say that, and you may feel the tingle in your head like I'm feeling right now, and then um, you just passively breathe. After you've done an invocation, you, you, the ego step out of the way and let your divine aspect do it for you. Okay? And if you, Chris, or anyone would like more information on this, they can go to astroshaman.com. At the top of the homepage sidebar, there is a purple box, and it says Heal and Awaken Invocations. Click that. It will take you to the section of my site that gives all sorts of information about how to do these invocations. There's MP3s of me leading it, uh, and it's all completely free. Okay? So if you want to learn more about how to use that Neptune-Mercury square in your chart, Chris, that would be an interesting thing to experiment with if you feel drawn to it. And again, there's lots of ways to use that besides my invocations. There's, there's a whole wealth of techniques that can accomplish similar purposes, and you should just use whichever one you feel most drawn to. Okay? Okay, so uh, so again, of all the Grand Cross elements, that Neptune-Mercury square is the juiciest. Um, and I'm just seeing if there's any other resonance around. I mean, Mercury does rule some houses and stuff, but I'm going to say that's probably... All right, I'll, I'll put one thing in here. Mercury is in one of the houses it rules. In, in Porphyry house system, Mercury's in your eighth house, and Virgo, a sign that it rules, is on the cusp of the eighth house. So the, the obvious tie into that uh, that relates to Neptune is the eighth house is the house of the occult, the hidden mysteries. And when I say occult, I'm not thinking dark, nasty, creepy occult. I'm just thinking anything that is behind the scenes that isn't perceivable with the five regular senses of the body. You know, sixth sense ESP, um, 
this is the house of telepathy and clairvoyance and mediumship and and spirituality and all the stuff that happens behind the veil uh, of the physical world. So um, just on just out of curiosity, is any of that stuff interesting to you, Chris? Any of that kind of material? Yeah, no, definitely. It's always been one of those things that I've been fascinated with. I mean, you know, I dabble in astrology. I read tarot cards, too. So it's always stuff that I've always been fascinated with. Right. And those are eighth house uh, activities as well, astrology and tarot, because they get in behind the energy of the universe. Right. So good. So to have Mercury in the eighth, um, squared from Neptune, ruling the eighth. Uh, and again, as I said, as we open this segment, your eighth house is your strongest house. You got Sun, Mars, and Mercury, most of your personal energy in that house. So um, it's actually the most relevant house in your chart if we were only going to talk about one. Okay. Uh, but I, you know, but I think we had a really fascinating discussion around your 11th house too. So I'm glad we went into that because we got into some topics that normally I wouldn't address on the show. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so you'll find diving into the occult. I, I will give you one little bonus here. Since the 8th house opens with the Virgoan Sun and Mars in Virgo, that's what Virgoan means, um, you know, serve with those gifts. As you develop your skill in astrology and tarot and any other occult art, use it to serve others. Yeah. And you will actually get your greatest reward by being of service the most. Okay. All right, so any questions around that? Um, no, I mean, well, because I'm looking at this chart, and maybe I maybe just have a different one, but I have my Sun and Mars in the 7th house, uh -huh. not in the 8th, so is it just... So where know, is your, where where in your chart is the cusp of the 8th house? It's, it is right on... Yeah, give, um, give me the coordinates. It's Virgo, it's 24 degrees and 56 minutes. Did you say 24, 56 Virgo? Yeah. And what is your house system? Um, I couldn't tell you exactly. Um, it's probably either Coke or Placidus. Oh, it's Placidus, yes. Okay. All right. So Placidus, uh, as I said, I use porphyry houses. You have different. Um, so in that case, um, the sun would definitely become a seventh house planet for you. And we would expect it to behave more relationally than focusing into eighth house mysterious things. Um, right. But Mars would be on the cusp. Uh, Mars would be less than two degrees off the cusp of the eighth house, right? Yeah. So it's, it's funny that you said that. I never, really, I never really thought of it that way, but it is interesting to see how that kind of interacts with that Mercury energy too. So Right. So, But the, the point I'm bringing out is what's often called the five-degree rule in astrology, which says if I have a planet within five degrees of the next house cusp, it's wanting to throw its energy into that next house. So your Mars, even though it is technically 7th house, is really probably behaving more like an 8th house Mars if you use the Placidus system. Right. Okay. And my own belief about house systems is not that one's right and the other's wrong, is that they all have some interesting information to contribute. So it might be yeah. interesting to ask yourself, is my son, the core of my vitality and identity, more about relationship and creative expression, which would be more seventh house, or is it more about diving into the mysteries and embracing transformation and and things like that, which is more eighth house? Okay. Now, in fact, just to, to go a little further, there is no way to definitively settle the argument about which house your son is in. The reason is you have Leo on the cusp of the seventh, right? So your son ruling the seventh house is going to have a relational flavor no matter what house it's in. Okay? 
There's no getting right. away from that if we use the most common house systems. And even if the sun's not in the eighth, you've still got Mars and Mercury in there, okay? Right. Which is a lot of power, okay? And, and Mars, by the way, is your ancient midheaven ruler, so it's even an angle ruler. So you've got significant energy in the eighth house, whether the sun's there or not. So you're going to have a juiced up eighth house either way. So, so because of the way your chart plays, there's no way to definitively settle the argument, does my son feel more like a 7th or 8th house son, because it's going to feel like a relational son regardless, because right. of its descendant rulership, and the 8th house is going to be strong because you've got two personal planets in it either way, energetically. Yeah, so anyway, that general region is just charged entirely. Yeah, so... Um, so the argument almost becomes academic at that point. But this is, again, one of those issues where house systems can really pick different dividing points and you can get into some interesting observations. So I would just say, you know, feel out for yourself which feels true for you. Or if they both feel true. That can happen too. Okay. Okay. So any questions about um, that topic? Nope. Okay, good. So that was a tangent off of my idea of, you know, serve with your occult gifts. And, and serve others with them. Um, because occult gifts, when used for selfish ends only, tend to get corrupted into the dark side. And as Yoda said, once down the dark path you start, forever will it dominate your destiny. So, don't go Wiser there. words were never spoken. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, the last thing I want to do, um, we're... Uh, we're past the 45-minute mark here, so I'm feeling us moving towards some kind of resolution. Uh, I just want to briefly touch on um, aspects or transits that are real juicy in your chart right now, just very briefly. And there is one that directly um, powerfully relates to your 11th house, which is right now transiting Neptune, currently at 6.5 Pisces, as we record this on... What is the date today? It's August 20th, 2014. It will probably be a few weeks before this goes on the air, by the way. Um, okay. You have transiting Neptune sextile Saturn. You know, it's uh, two signs away. And Neptune is moving slowly, so you've, you've easily got a couple of more years of transit Neptune sextile Saturn, which is one of the most potent law of attraction um, aspects there is, to have moving Neptune aspecting natal Saturn. And it augments the power of the fact that Saturn and Neptune are already conjunct natally. Okay? Um, it also doesn't hurt that Pluto is currently retrograding. It's not going to conjunct Neptune again, but right now it's, it's not even two degrees away. And Pluto is going to station near Neptune and move forward and then finally leave it. But you've got several months more of the power of Pluto on Neptune. So you have both of your law of attraction natal planets, Saturn and Neptune, uh, powered up by transiting the, the two most powerful transiting planets in the sky, Neptune and Pluto, because they're the furthest away, all right? Right. So talk about law of attraction juju. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's some serious juice you got going there. So um, I would be, uh, you know, writing down all the stuff I want to bring into my life if I were you, and I would be using a formal law of attraction process morning and night and calling that stuff in if I were you, because this is a rare and powerful time for you I mean, you've always got the juice natally. You could do it anytime you want. But to have both of the Law of Attraction planets, Saturn and Neptune, juiced up like this is not going to happen very often. Right. So you're in a really magical little window, okay? Huh, good to know. All right, so that makes sense? 
All right, so the there's two other aspects. One has nothing to do with anything we've talked about. I'll just mention it briefly. Uh, your natal sun at 16 Virgo is aspected by three slow planets right now. Uh, transiting Chiron is opposing it almost exactly. As I look at the chart, it's two minutes off exact. Transit Uranus is also almost exactly quincunx. Transit Saturn is sextile, um, a little more distant, of like a degree and change. But basically, your natal sun is receiving th uh, aspects from three slow, powerful planets right now. So it's a good time with Chiron opposing to address any wounds or um, psychological or emotional stuff that's coming up from your past that needs to be cleared. A really potent opportunity for that right now. And to step into your own deeper skills as mentor and healer. With Uranus quincunx the sun, uh, follow your intuitive flashes and make any adjustments in your egoic structure or your life that you are guided to do from within yourself or that make you a more authentic Chris. And the Saturn sextile is probably the least of the three. You know, he's already past the exact, and it's just a generally supportive energy to give you a little bit of foundation to do the other stuff I was talking about. Um, so that's just in passing. The final thing that's really juicy for you is uh, transiting Jupiter just came into your seventh house. And uh, that is a classic time of relationship energy. And um, if you're, I don't know, are you already in a committed romantic partnership? I am not. Okay. Well, what a juicy time to uh, to initiate one if you want. And by the way, Venus is just three degrees ahead of Jupiter. So Venus, the natural ruler of the seventh, just came in, but she comes around every year. But to have Jupiter itself, the expander, come in uh, is really powerful. So this, if you if you are desiring a partnership, this would be a magnificent time right now to to use law of attraction, lay write down exactly the qualities you wish in your partner. Don't don't nail it down to a specific person, but okay. but say the kind of qualities you want and start visualizing you spending time with that ideal partner. Okay. So um, the other thing that always happens when Jupiter enters the seventh house or connects to a relational point in the chart is that the relationships you're in, even if they're platonic ones, get put under the magnifying glass. So you may already be noticing that the, the central relationships in your life, you're seeing more clearly the nature of that, that relationship, whether it's more flowing or more challenged. Is, are, you, are you suddenly noticing that a little more in recent weeks? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been you know, a little phase of mine lately, you know, kind of like, you know, um, going through, you know, old friends, new friends, you know, revisiting some. So yeah. it's been that kind of a period. Yeah. So Jupiter into the seventh is a good time to, A, weed out the relationships that don't have the juice anymore. No, no shame in that. They're still wonderful people, but if you're no longer resonating with them like you used to and they're not the best way to spend your time, then it's okay to either, you know, stop seeing them or see them less, right? Uh, but Jupiter in the seventh is also a great time to start new relationships or energize existing ones that are already great to spend even more time with those people. So those are, are good ways to use Jupiter coming into the seventh house. And again, you can also use law of attraction, not just for romantic partnership, but any kind of relationship you want with Jupiter now stimulating that house in particular. Um, so, you know, the sky's the limit on law of attraction. You know, as long as you close by saying this or something better, you know, you're on, you're on safe ground as long as, in my opinion, as long as you believe that what you're calling for will cause no harm to others. You know, uh, I'm a big believer in uh, do unto others as, you know, you would like nice people to do unto you. <laughs> right, yeah, the golden rule always counts. Yeah. And, and I'll throw in one, uh, just as we wrap, one more bonus. You also have Pluto squaring Mercury. 
which is very powerful. That's been going on, I guess, probably a couple of years. So transformation of thought is a huge theme there. And uh, I, would, I would urge you, my guess is in the last couple of years, you've already changed some of your thinking into new concept structures. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So especially with Pluto square Mercury, consider everything you know to be conditional truth. And you say, okay, I'm going to use this as the truth I'm working with right now, but I am wide open to having that truth transformed or proven false, and I'm open to a greater truth taking its place. Or another way to do this is uh, to think holonically. Uh, that, that base word is holon, H-O-L-O-N. I learned this from reading Ken Wilber, the great philosopher. And a holon says there is a greater truth surrounding the one you're in. For example, an atom is a true structure, but it's part of a molecule. A molecule is a true structure, but it's part of a cell. A cell is part of a body. A body is part of a society, et cetera, et cetera. You just keep bigger and bigger, right? So the, it may be the truth you're holding is true, but all of a sudden you say, oh my gosh, there's an even greater truth beyond that that I want to embrace. I, I want to have a larger vision of this. That can happen with uh, Pluto aspecting Mercury too. Okay? Yeah. Uh, and, and I can't stop myself. I'm going to do one more for you. <laughs> um, Pluto's conjunct Neptune okay and the last exact hit has been made I think I mentioned this already in terms of juicing up law of attraction but um, Pluto on Neptune is a fantastic opportunity to deepen your spiritual consciousness if you have interest in connecting with that divine source I was talking about earlier then Pluto massively empowers everything Neptunian and if you choose to use Neptune on its upside you know, divine union practice, inspired creativity, more unconditional love and compassion, then, you know, doing things that move in that direction are still going to be supercharged as long as Pluto is still within three degrees of, of natal Neptune. Okay? And with that, I rest my case. <laughs> so, Chris, any, any last questions or comments? Any loose ends we need to wrap up before we finish the call? Particularly, I mean, I think it may be a little interesting, a point of interest that my Venus God, you know, was, was pretty much on its own, doesn't do much, so that's kind of like floating over there. Are you talking about Pallas Athena? Um, no, my um, Venus. Your, your Venus? Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about her at all, did we? Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because it really doesn't, like, interact much, honestly. I don't think it's kind of like... Well, your Venus aspects virtually nothing. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It really just sits there. <laughs> yeah, it's in Libra, so it's a strong relational planet. But let me, let me just tell you what that means since you asked. It's, it's, that would be called a peregrine or, unas or almost unaspected planet. Now, Venus does, in fact, sextile the moon, and it's a, it's a reasonably you know, strength uh, sextile, four degrees. But planets that have very few connections to others, even if they're not technically... Uh, unaspected, which is, you know, she's got one aspect, Ptolemaically, mm -hmm. is that they tend to be either real weak, because they don't have the support of other energies, or they tend to be real strong, because there's nothing holding them back. Gotcha. So that would be most likely how your Venus would behave. Either you're really strongly focused in relationships or creativity, or money, or else those things are just kind of lagging and not doing much. And, and I've, I've talked to many clients who they're unaspected planets. Sometimes they're wimps and sometimes they're monsters, you know, and you never know. Well, you do know because there being aspects to them tend to influence that. So that's the basic idea about how a, in this case, a very lightly aspected Venus would operate. Right. Okay. Huh. It's no. Um, but beyond that, I think you pretty much covered all the bases. 
Okay, good. And I apologize, I did mention Pallas Athena as part of the Grand Cross, and then I never talked about her. So uh, that'll be for another day, I guess. <laughs> my, I, There's always triage being done in astrology, and uh, my emphasis is always on trying to talk about the things that appear most important and helpful. And, and she didn't make the cut this time. No offense. <laughs> Pallas <laughs> Athena. <laughs> it happens. Okay, cool. All right, so I, I like to close, Chris, by asking my guarantee question, which is, was I helpful? Definitely. You absolutely were. Okay, cool. Well, I'm so glad we got to do this live listener consultation. Thanks so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. I mean, this is something that I was really, really excited about, and I'm grateful for the insight that you helped me gain. So all the best. Thank you so much for this. My great pleasure, Chris. Thanks again. I offer three main services at AstroShaman, astrology, shamanic healing, and awakening activation. All are equally effective in person or long distance. Choose one or combine two or more services during your session. Astrology offers insights into soul purpose, career, relationships, spirituality, timing, relocation, and much more. In Awakening Activation Sessions, I help you immerse into your own awakened state using simple, powerful invocations, then teach you how to refresh it on your own. Shamanic healing can reduce or eliminate physical, emotional, or mental issues, and usually results in significantly enhanced divine consciousness. I also offer electional astrology to help you pick the perfect date and time for any important event. And be sure to check out my free services page, where you can load up on free forecasts, podcasts, invocations, and music. Sliding scale payment is available by request. You can get a 20% discount during your birthday month, and gift certificates are always available. I work with clients all around the world by phone and Skype. You get a free digital recording of your session, and I accept PayPal and all major credit cards. Finally, my guarantee makes it risk-free. If you don't feel that your experience was helpful, it's free. For more information or to set an appointment, visit astroshaman.com, email info at astroshaman.com, or call 828-338-9852. I love my work, and I look forward to helping you. As we wrap up this week's show, let me remind you once again that you have until September 8th to email me ideas about how I can do what I do better. And every good idea you give me will earn you a chance to win a free two-hour session with me. Again, send those please to info at astroshaman.com. As we wrap up the show, let me remind you to please tell a friend or post or tweet about us or donate to support us at thisweekinastrology.com if you're so inclined. You can link to our Facebook page and Twitter feed where I post daily forecasts from thisweekinastrology.com and astroshaman.com. You can listen to This Week in Astrology on your smartphone or tablet at stitcher.com. And if you're an iTunes listener, please do subscribe through iTunes and help us maintain our standing as the number one astrology podcast on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. I wish you infinite blessings as the stars light your way. This Week in Astrology is copyright 2014 by Astro Shaman. All rights reserved, although enthusiastic sharing is encouraged. You can access our free comprehensive audio archive from thisweekinastrology.com. If you'd like me to illustrate the weekly forecast with your chart, please send me your date, time, and city of birth. This also gives you a chance to win a free session with me every time the seasons change. I welcome your personal questions for my live listener consultation segments. 
I also welcome your general astrology questions and feedback. Just email info at astroshaman.com. I look forward to making you a part of This Week in Astrology. Here's this week's index. The overview begins at 1 minute 43 seconds, Monday, 2.32, Tuesday, 3.01, Wednesday, 3.25, Thursday, 4.24, Friday, 5.01, Saturday, 8.38, Sunday, 11.44, next week's transits, 13.14, announcements, 14.59, and our live listener consultation starts at 18.07. Thank you so much for listening to This Week in Astrology.